All the Rage with John Bout on www.tracksfm.org. There we are again, fashionably late, but fashionably here. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's very cold here in London, very cold. Um, but we'll we'll live. It's not the end of the world. We don't have to go and get food rations or anything like that because we had a millimetre of snow. Um, uh, one of the subjects, or probably most of the show, will be taken up by the um, 20 year plus uh, post office crime. I mean, it is a crime. Um, and what happened with the, um, the, the, the unfair, unjust, the injustice, shall we say, of um, seven, seven, about 700 postmasters here in the UK uh, based on a, um, a computer system used by the company Fujitsu, who is a political donor uh, on both big, big parties, by the way. Um, and we didn't, you know, uh, no one did anything. Um, and the people in charge uh, in 2019 were given a CBE um, and congratulated um, while those 700 people suffered. Some died, some were imprisoned unjustly. Um, and it's quite a interesting aspect to that, seeing as the post office at that time, and still is not raw mail as such, it was raw mail as such at that time, but it's now post office counters, uh, and it, which is government run, the government run it, own it. And it seems like, um, until they had actually put, dramatised it, because it's something on the TV at the moment, and it's a four-part series, which is literally, the country has raised the roof on the unjust, the injustice to these 700 postmasters. And it, it tells us, it tells a lot of things of us as a society in that if they didn't show it on telly and dramatise it, um, it would never have been publicised. You know, everyone kind of knew about it. A certain percentage of the country did. But we would never have known about it. And, and they dramatised it. And the country's in outrage this. Uh, and now they want to put it in front of a judge so they can get compensation. I don't think they can get compensation for some of the things they've lost. Um, obviously, it's financial compensation they're looking at. But how did this happen? How did this happen? How did it get under us? And, and my belief is, is this has this is just uncovered a lot of things. I think it's uncovered donors um, taking priority over people um, funding for political parties um, I think Fujitsu are still linked to certain ministers in the government now as they were linked to the Labour Party uh, under Tony Blair's watch at that time and as, as you know New Labour took a sort of centre left which is as John says neoliberalism but at what cost? But at what cost? And will, will the, the Labour Party now distance itself from new Labour? So we can't all throw, the, throw everything at the Tories on this one. Don't get me wrong, they did give her a CBE in 2019, and I think Richie Sunak's wife is links with Fujitsu. Um, 
But this thing stinks. It stinks, and it's stuff that me and John have spoken about over as many shows about the injustice of big business and people, which is more important. Um, so as you know, the, the bankers and the bonuses, and we paid for it. Um, that's just one example. Which is it? John? Yes, well, as you say, uh, this is a subject, where to begin, where to end, where finally... It's being something I think we've certainly mentioned before. It's been doing the rounds all of a sudden on all of the regular news agencies. They've they've heard about it. And and what I want to talk about tonight, and we'll go through some of the basics of this. We will we will cover the the, the story itself. But I particularly want to talk about the media-based issue, which is the power of drama and how it was that drama could bring this to a, a public awareness and level of support that merely kind of recounting the facts didn't didn't do. So we'll get to that, I think, in a minute. But it, it is a, a staggering injustice. It's something that anyone, you know, I've spoken to about it for the longest time, or I've, we've said, uh, this really should be a bigger scandal than it actually is. And finally, it seems like it is. It's also a great defence for specific journalism, as we'll get into a little bit later on. Uh, specific journalism being the fact that it was a niche publication, the kind of thing that isn't normally funded by, by bigger media outlets that actually broke this story to begin with, and it grew and grew from there. So recently what we've seen is something that I did not think we were ever likely to see again, a media phenomenon, an event that caught the attention of the wider public and led to action being taken up to government level. It is rare that, and I, I, it's, it's, there's some specifics as to why, because you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, media phenomena happen all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I gather that, but it's, it's specifically about something like this, you know, uh, a mainstream drama series. It is rare that media of any kind can have this power, and very rare that fiction is a main driver of this change, but the ITV drama, Mr. Bates versus the Post Office, caught the public attention like no other programme that I can think of for a very long time. It has now taken its place in a history of pioneering programming and attention-grabbing drama, which has, in some cases, directly changed things at government level, you know, national law-based level, and in other cases, certainly brought a much wider awareness from Ken Loach's Kathy Comes Home through to Russell T. Davis's It's a Sim. Now, I want to discuss many factors of this, from the nature of the broadcast to the impact of drama in comparison to other formats. But firstly, for those of you that are unaware, Mr. Bates versus the Post Office was a four-part drama series detailing the lives of the many postmasters who, who between um, 1999 and 2015 were found guilty or charged with uh, theft and dodgy accounting after the installation of a failed computer system. They were all accused of stealing from the post offices that they ran due to shortfalls of money detected after the rollout of the Horizon software that the post office used as part of a deal with the Fujitsu company. Despite the obvious flaws in the system, the post office insisted that their employees had in fact stolen imaginary money and they prosecuted them. The result was a huge miscarriage of justice that involved postmasters being bullied into confessions to non-existent crimes. 
having their names dragged through the mud, and four of them actually committing suicide. Many have been ruined in the process of fighting this, from borrowing money and spending their savings, paying back, as it were, money that never existed, or in the costs of fighting the legal battle. There were mental breakdowns for some, addiction problems for others, and social ruin, and many are now living in near poverty. In all, more than 900 sub-postmasters were prosecuted. I, I've, I keep going back to the numbers when I was researching this to get it right. Keep going back to that number. Anything from 700 to 900, of it, because I cannot understand how this many people were prosecuted. I cannot understand how the, the, any number I see here has two zeros on the end of it. It seems utterly ludicrous to me. Many of these folks highlighted the flaws in this system multiple times, but they were ignored. Instead, they were stitched up on phony charges and served prison sentences for false accounting and theft. All because of a faulty computer system and the unwillingness of the management of the post office to actually investigate it. Now, many things have come out about this since, most shockingly, the extent that the post office leadership went to in trying to cover up the story. No concern was shown to the people whose lives were being destroyed by false accusations. We now know, however, that the bosses knew about this and actively covered it all up. Post office investigators were paid bonuses for every conviction that they gained. And we know that lies were told about how someone could access the Horizon server, uh, you know, as it were, you're the only person who can actually access it, so all of this must be on you. Well, we know that isn't true. We know it was able to be accessed directly from uh, Fujitsu, among other places. Sub-postmasters contacting the IT or HR department, specifically HR departments of their company, were told that they were the only one with access to their system and they were the only person in the country who was having a problem with it. So that is, on call after call, the person in HR was telling another employee they were the only one with this specific problem. They were instructed by management to lie to their own employees. Now, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this, and obviously we talk about who's to blame and how they should pay. Generally speaking, of course, we all say, you know, aim at the top, which I completely agree with, aim about where the real money is and where the orders are coming from. At the same time, I've got to say, one of those rare occasions when the people also at the bottom are as, as accountable in some ways to this as anyone else, because I will say that for those of you that were sitting on the other end of the phone and HR and telling people calling you up that this is you're the only person having this problem, it's all on you, you are just as, as guilty in this as, you, as any of the, the others are. The post office often claimed... Uh, sorry. So the... Post office often claimed after a sub-postmaster gained IT advice on the system and they climbed down, but otherwise they tried to shut them up however uh, they, they possibly could. They even pushed people to sign non-disclosure agreements. And I think you know some of you out there probably know what they're all about. It's what happens when you marry a millionaire or you... Um, no, that's not... That's a prenuptial. Uh, non-disclosure is when you, you know, when you leave company and uh, they don't want you to take any of their sensitive information with you and pass it on to anybody else. Even after they knew of the failures of this system, cases were still pursued in the courts. The post office leadership chose not to sort out their system failures, but instead to attack their own workforce and ruin their lives. They cared more about the appearance of their computer system than actually dealing with its failures. 
At no point, it seems, did anyone working for the post office ask why suddenly 900 people who worked there had become thieves. There were some reports of racism and the treatment of many sub-postmasters by the company. Now, data from 2022 shows of the records that the post office has of who has been convicted. 316 have provided details on their ethnicity, and at least 123 were of black, Asian and minority ethnic background, which is just under 39%. The exact um, number of postmasters from an ethnic minority background is not known yet, however. So with that in mind, I will reserve judgment on whether or not there was a particular racist action involved. However, many individuals do talk of racist attitudes that they met when speaking to people, particularly those of, uh, of Indian heritage. They most certainly did have uh, rouse, uh, very strong situations where the investigators basically decided that because uh, these folks didn't speak perfect English or didn't articulate it as well, or you know, there was one person who, um, there was one investigator in the post office who said about uh, uh, some thing. He said, well, you know, you've got um, family in India, so that's where they're sending the money to. That's why it's not here, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> I mean, a bold claim, something you should look into if you think money's been stolen, you don't know where it is. But if you can't actually find any evidence of it, then the claim is all it's ever going to be. So keep it to yourself unless you've got something to back it up. The sub-postmasters set up a campaign group and have been fighting for justice over the last 20 years or so with this group. To date, only 93 convictions have been overturned, but things are now moving fast, including under government plans, victims will be able to sign a form to say that they are innocent in order to have their convictions overturned and claim compensation. Interesting, this is this is the kind of thing that's had attention brought to it um, by, uh, among other people, actually, by Ian Hislop of Private Eye magazine. Now, Private Eye magazine covered this in detail. Again, I'm not a big fan of that magazine. Uh, I don't like Ian Hislop. I think he's an overprivileged twat with an attitude problem. But in this particular case, uh, I, I do actually think he's there's some interesting news footage of him on, I think it was Peston's programme, where he really rips in to an MP, who, among other things, he's, he said, you know, this thing, that, that this overturning of the convictions, these folks have been told when they've proved themselves to, to be innocent for over the last 20 years or so, this couldn't be done. You have to take it to a higher level, blah, blah, blah. And basically overnight, you've now started saying, oh, sign a bit of paper and we'll overturn your conviction. Quite something, isn't it? The UK government have also said it will work with Scotland and Northern Ireland to ensure the victims wrongly accused in those nations can also be cleared now suddenly our politicians are falling over themselves to condemn this injustice when before it was difficult to get them to care or even acknowledge it. So far, however, we have not seen anyone responsible for this injustice face the same treatment. None of them are on trial right now or facing jail time. It seems like there is only ever one rule for the PMC and others upwards and another rule for the rest of us. So that's the basics of the case. Now I want to jump into the drama. Um, so if you, just to let you know, Dave, I, want, I want to talk about the drama. I'm going to ask your opinion on a couple of things about this um basic summing up of the case there's anything you wanted to add to that before we go into the next bit uh no just uh, just the fact that this the interesting part of this case john is uh, when they, this thing was uncovered or their mistake was uncovered or whatever or what it looked like at the time <clears throat> rural mail then took a role on as a prosecutor for the state Meaning that they said, "Us, you, we, you, you owe us money. You've been performing fraud." 
and it took the role of the state prosecutor, if you like, the CPS, and decided yeah. to take out a private prosecution um, under the government of, of the day. It just did it. So the government owned the post office, didn't do anything. Raw Mail then became the prosecutor or the CPS for the state. It decided to be the CPS, which is frightening. This was all under a government's watch. That's the thing about this thing. And they then go and reward these people, not just with bonuses. There's loads of people being paid off, by the way. And I saw that petition for the CBE, and it was, you know, I understand people's sentiment. Listen, she don't give a monkeys about a CBE, mate. I think we should have petitioned, if you're going to petition and use the online digital, which is a certain amount, it's got to be heard in Parliament. I think we should have had a petition and put her in jail. John? Well, this is the thing. So, um, so I don't disagree with that. I'll be very specific about um, whether or not... I mean, OK, so what I mean is... is this, I'd be specific and say that this person absolutely needs to face a full trial. And what, yeah, before we go into the drama aspect, why don't we deal with that now? So I wouldn't say a petition, um, because I think that's, that's a little dangerous precedent to set. However... Um, the handing back of the CBE is something she did. Uh, it jumped before she was pushed, right? She could see the writing on the wall. You, you, you get the petition. I mean, petitions are, are, you know, at best a very, very minor tool to gain attention to something. At worst, they're a complete waste of time. However, um, this one had about a million people sign it in the course of about four days. So this girl ain't stupid. She could see the writing on the wall. And she thinks she can placate... The, the those calling for justice by by handing this thing back. You can't, lady. Tell you right now. You can't, and neither can any of the people who work for you who are directly involved in doing all this, who, as Dave said, had the temerity to take on the role of the state uh, without any democratic mandate to do so. And, I mean, it would be ludicrous to even imagine they would get a democratic mandate because they wouldn't even ask. So forget about it. Well, I, I think um, now, if you're going to accuse me and John of being conspiracy theorists, it doesn't mean we're wrong. Uh, and what we're saying, what I'm assuming, John, being that we're yeah. of a suspicious nature here on All the Rage, that someone somewhere gave the nod for that, for that to happen. I don't believe yeah. people act on their own. I think people give, give the nod. And these people, we need to keep looking up, John. We've been talking about that for a while in relation to a few things. But anyway, so what I think is there's no point when it comes to, you know, broadly speaking, we talked about this before, you know, when it, when it comes to punishment or actions against this, when you're dealing with people or corporations that have got all the money in the world, there's only so much you can find them that's going to make any difference. Yeah. At, at best, in that kind of base capitalist way, you need to, um, a bit like, you know, McDonald's are now suddenly squawking a little bit because they're facing a boycott because of... Um, I've, I've just seen the, the, the hashtag. I haven't looked into it in detail, but I understand it's to do with them handing out free food to Israeli soldiers before they go and commit genocide. So, uh, yeah, that's good enough reason to boycott them, and that food is shit too. But they um, that's one thing where basically it's, it's as much as anything. It ain't really necessarily just about the money. When you've got that much money, it's about the public appearance and how it looks in the future. Well, the main thing you have here is there's no point in finding those with more money than any of us will ever see. 
you need to to face them with a consequence that they don't want. And that consequence right now would be removal of their liberty. So that means they need to be put on trial like anyone else would be in a situation like this. If you have lied, cheated, committed, ironically committed fraud, the very thing that they were accusing their own staff of doing, by all of the things that they've claimed, all the cover-ups they've tried to do. This is something that needs to go to court. Every person who is involved needs to be pulled into it. From the HR phone worker who told five, six, seven, twelve calls after one another, you're the only person with this problem, all the way up to Paula Villanelles, however you pronounce her name. All of that. Uh, you need to give back all of the money, the bonus money you got at that time, particularly because your, your bonuses, I mean... You know, you were getting a bonus for every conviction. Now, of those convictions, let's talk about the four people who committed suicide too. That effectively makes that blood money. Right? Be under no illusion about that. You are in possession of blood money right now. Now, I know money doesn't know where it comes from, but that's not really the point here. So absolutely, we need to, there's no point in threatening these folks with something that's going to, you know, oh, fine, I'll pay that off and I'll be back in the... Canary Islands on a yacht before it's it's even made it through the bank. You know, I'll be I'll be I'll be back with my putting my feet up earning twenty percent off of nothing, which is what you're doing now. No, these people need to know what the inside of a jail cell looks like at a very base minimum, right? The minimum. Okay, let's go into the drama. You, you good on that? So we go straight into the drama aspect. Yeah? Nice one, yeah. So I really want to talk to you about this one. I want to get your opinion on this and and go over this issue. So one of the most fascinating things from a technical level to me was the way a story many of us have known about for some time, which was, as I've said, reported in detail on news outlets around the UK. Uh, and this, I mean, you know, the BBC did panorama shows on this. And if you're if you're not in the UK, you're outside of there. Panorama is like a, I mean, I personally, I think it's completely discredited after the bullshit hatchet job they did against uh, Jeremy Corbyn for fake anti-Semitism accusations. But nevertheless, um, it is a flagship program, whether I like it or not. And it's a major investigative journalistic show, right? So, it, you know, this wasn't hidden. They were, they were, you know, the mainstream media, the mainstream news outlets were covering this. And it was investigated by the police. But it didn't catch the public attention anywhere near as well as Mr Bates versus the post office did. So what we can do here, which, I, as I say, I find interesting, is, is you can pinpoint... At what, at what stage this story took hold of public consciousness? So around about from 9pm on the 1st of January 2024, the start of the first episode, this story entered the public, the British public mind, with people taken to social media decrying this huge injustice about, I don't know, I'd say sort of 10, 20 minutes after the show had started. I just want, just want to underline here, by the way, folks, I'm very, very familiar with what this show is about because of all of the media coverage. I haven't actually seen it yet. I, I do intend to watch it, but I just haven't had, well, because busy writing radio shows like this, I can't sit with my feet up watching the telly, can I? You know, figure it out. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm more talking specific. I'm not talking about um, the show itself, and I'm not sort of grading the, uh, the quality of it. I know I understand from other reports it's very good, but then again, as I experienced going to the cinema to see a certain film this week, other people's takes on them and mine can be vastly different. But nevertheless, I look forward to seeing it one day. I'm talking, as I said at the top of the show, about a media phenomena here. So no, I have not seen the programme, but I am familiar with the actual case it's about. So the stuff I'll be quoting you is from backspace stuff rather than the actual show. Okay, just wanted to put that out there. 
ITV figures claim that Mr. Bates versus the Post Office has been watched by over 9 million people so far. Since the series began, more than 100 new potential victims have contacted lawyers, some of whom were former postmasters prosecuted, persecuted by the post office. So in this age when we're constantly told nobody watches TV anymore, or certainly they rarely watch it live and altogether, this injustice has hit the public vein about the same time and led to a snowball of action from authorities. The story has not been out of the news since broadcast. Many early morning news bulletins, starting with the latest on this story for days after the programme had finished. Petitions and public calls for justice have grown, as we just discussed a moment ago. Uh, the call was, of course, for the former head of the post office, Paula Vanells, to lose her CBE. And that reached, as I mentioned, one million signatures, and then she handed it back before it could be stripped. She's not handed any back, uh, back any of her bonuses from that time. There is a public inquiry taking place right now. I will probably catch up on the, the, the headlines from it after this show. So why is it specifically that drama is able to make this impact? That is, fiction makes a bigger impact than fact. As I said earlier, the story has been reported plenty. It's been covered nationally. It's been covered locally. Uh, the BBC, to their credit, have done a good job on this, actually. Uh, but the power of culture is that can give us an emotional impact that we do not get from the real-life equivalent. Having seen great actors performing great writing has a special kind of power. It seems that we can relate on a human level better through acting than through reality. I think this gives us an idea as much as any of why culture is such a contested ground now, or, or always has been to a degree, but specifically it's, it seems to be, almost have become the main political contesting ground from about the 1980s onwards. The right are obsessed with culture, from the visible existence of people they hate to the fact that, broadly speaking, overtly right-wing people are crap at making art. This bugs them greatly, and by the way, they're really shit at comedy, and they know it. And they don't like this. This is an area where they don't have power. They've got the uh, hegemonic control of our economic basis. They've got control of what is politically possible, but that was never good enough for them. They're really, really bugged by the fact that you're constantly watching culture which mocks them, which shows up their hypocrisies and failures, which humiliates them. And it's not even real. It's it's all pretend stuff most of the time. Um, it doesn't include other, other things. Right? But anyway, the phony culture wars of today are actually nothing compared to the 1980s and 90s, when entire musical subgenres had state power mobilised against them, among other things. Films were being banned right, left and centre, and we were told what was good for us to consume. This was the height of, of the censorship era, and actually the very first thing that politicised me when I was a, a teenager. It is extremely important to have context here too. From the 90s onwards, attention turned to culture, not just because of perceptions of progress there, but also because it was assumed that the political battles of our time were all over. Global capital now ruled, and our culture told us there was no other way. So nothing to fight a big war about. Might as well make it about music and television with a dose of religious reaction thrown in the middle just to start spice things up. They also have a specific chip on their shoulder about not being funny, as I mentioned. Forgotten I've written that. Anyway, uh, today the right have clearly lost that fight and they know it. Perhaps this is why the arts are so continually under threat. 
Since the austerity Armageddon of the 2010s, we've seen massive cuts to the arts, always pushing them back in education, cutting funding to programmes, allowing for music or theatre all across the country, that sort of thing. I've got, as I say, maybe that's one of the main reasons why that has, has taken place. I think it is. Uh, conservatives, small or large, so tend to deeply, uh, deeply, what's the word I'm, I'm trying to think of? Resent art, resent culture. It's something they're just not very good at. Now, speaking generally about what we've seen here, uh, a case of injustice, it's been going on for 20 years, as Dave has pointed out. Do we find it easier to deal with these things when there is no fight to speak of? Meaning, after the fact, we can take a position knowing that it will cost us nothing. It's much easier to stand and wait till the dust settles to then decide which side of the fight you're on. But generally, this is after there is uh, really isn't any chance of making an impact on the case. It's a coward's way of looking back on an injustice and nodding in agreement about how terrible it all is, but not having to do anything about it not having to put anything on the line, ignoring it while it is happening or even making judgments you later just pretend you never made. See the Iraq war. It does seem in this country that we would rather look at an injustice acted out in front of us with a screen for protection and act in the actual moment. Now, there are always specifics in any case, but what can we take from the future from something like this? Well, firstly, there is a case to be made for specific media, as I mentioned at the top of the hour. The story was first broken by Computer Weekly magazine, a journal for those interested in all things computer, presumably. Uh, their writer's understanding of the technical aspects of this case that became so important to bringing the case to life is actually something we can say is a, a major spark for beginning this case up to where we are now. We have seen the destruction of local media in Britain over the last couple of decades as media corporations dominate the landscape and bring us the stories that they want from the perspective that benefits them. Here you have a great example of what we could get from a unique perspective, from computer technical chat to the beginnings of a social justice campaign. It's quite something, I think, and again, it's, it's a good thing to still see in the world we're in now where, where such outlets are, are, generally speaking, you know, pushed down upon and, and, and ignored. Second, the sub-postmasters did not really have a proper union, and this was no doubt part of the problem. Any of the United work they have done for their justice campaign would have been done quicker and more effectively with union representation. Plus, they would have actually been represented in their workplace properly, which would have put a lot of these just terrible aspects to bed. Uh, I'm not saying that they would have solved everything, but uh, you know, if you, if you have a, a union that you pay dues into, we were able to do the investigative part of this to some degree it certainly would have cleared a lot of this up a lot quicker that's what i believe i don't I, dave can come back on that and see what he thinks on that in a minute technology in the workplace can only come through direct involvement with the workforce and not against it and this is a very nasty example of how bad automation can be so when we finally get around to discussing automation we'll we'll start with this case i think as uh, the nightmare scenario now finally will we see any real consequences for the guilty here well, we'll discuss that in a minute. Uh, I think that's open for debate at best. I, a part of me thinks probably not, but, you know, it's always worth trying. What we have seen, again, is that without a doubt, only collective action can make anything happen. A huge public outcry has led to us getting here and must take us further too. Lastly, what should we see a major drama about next? 
the Grenfell disaster, maybe the anti-trade union laws that blight our country, zero-hours contracts, or maybe even Palestine. Maybe that's what folks need. You know, it's not actually seeing ethnic cleansing and genocide carried out in front of you. And God knows how long we're going to have to keep seeing that. Maybe you just need a little drama about you know a, a plucky white boy who goes to that part of the world and uh, tries to understand it all. God, I hope not. But anyway, so Dave. All of that, the power of drama, I mean, you know, my question's here. Why do you think this has more of an impact than, say, Panorama? Um, uh, well, I think uh, the new digital age of, um, of uh, on-demand, John, um, gave it a yeah. bigger audience, so we don't crowd around the TV anymore, watching paedophiles like we did in the 70s and 80s. Um, we, watch things that we watch things at our leisure. Uh, just on pop culture. So, um, we talk about the pandemic, which did everything. It set, it just did everything wrong and it set everything back. And we've lost a generation in that pandemic. But I will say this, based on the, um, alleged charges of paedophilia amongst BBC or TV presenters from the 70s and 80s, we can kiss most of pop culture from the 70s, 80s and 90s away based on that, John. Uh, that's gone. Um, the days of Simon Reed telling us that I'm banning Frankie Goes to Hollywood. You can talk, mate. Uh, and I could care less. And the BBC um, jumping on the black music bandwagon in the 90s because their pirate radio was just much more popular than that crap they used to put on the BBC. Um, and then, then just started hiring black presenters. You know, uh, a new producer comes in and I'm all about black music, and you would, they would play house music all day on Radio 1 uh, over the weekend, you know. Um, they used to spit on it, mate. Um, and then they got rid of the producer, and it went back to normal again. I forgot that Joe, what, Slim, Fat Boy Slim's missus, she's, she's number one at the moment on the radio. Zoe Ball. Yeah, Zoe Ball. Um, I think Radio 6 is actually good, and Radio 2, by the way. Um, and that's where I'd like to see t- um, Larson Spade's money going on, and that utter drivel on Radio 1. Um, just secondly, look, uh, so, yeah, we can forget about pop culture in the main. Even even the young ones, you'd say, no, but what about the young ones? What, who's that geezer who wrote it, and he became so effing liberal, John? Who's his name? What's his name ben again? Ben Elton. Ben Elton, that's it. And yeah. David Bedill, who was... Lads, the lads, lads, you know, of the 90s. Yeah, he, he turned out, he stuck to his roots. Um, it just all, just, just look, they just, these people just, I don't know. It's, I'm disappointed because I love the eight, 70s and 80s and 90s, not because of the pop culture. It was what was happening in pirate radio and the hip-hop scene and the house scene where groups of youngsters made their own thing, John. And then someone, yeah. somewhere, said, let's corporatise it, you know. And they got hold of these guys who called themselves NWA. And they just started corporatising it and packing it and packaging it and pretending that everything's banned. And then, oh, it became awful. Because I worked for our price and I knew the owners. The owners would come down and talk to us. They were really nice guys. And even they said, this is disgusting, what's happening there, what they're doing with black music. Um, you know, but it's good, John, because we made our own thing. Just just on the corporate side of things, John, and I just want to 
let's, I'm going to put things into perspective about capitalism and the way it's gone. I'm not naive to say we can't run with cap, cannot, we should run right. without it. I'm not being naive. So, President Obama, and this is not the UK I'm talking about. So, President Obama came in 2008 on a wave of hope. And people were disgusted in the US because the financial crisis was started. It, it did start in America. It was a crime. Um, and the global crisis, it created a global financial crisis. Bear in mind that the US now have put a safety net in 2010. So before that, there was no safety net. Anyway, Obama came in on a wave of hope and said he's going to put pressure on the financial industries. Um, due to stock market rules, uh, bankers' bonuses were advertised. There was protests outside the White House within his first month. And he called all the banks in to the White House and asked them, he asked them, John, could they pitch in and forego their bonuses um, because we've got to sort this out. And to a bank, and there was a lot of them that attended the White House, they all said, no, not really. Not ending it back. I'm keeping my bonus and that's that. Mm. And it was one of many defeats that he had with... Don't get me wrong, I've got a lot of criticism of his leadership, certainly in the Middle East policies up there. But I'm just saying that he was fresh and new and came on, came on a wave of hope. And because his party is pretty much neoliberal, um, he could only ask, John, can you, can you just help us out here? He asked. Listen, I would have got them in the White House and put my dogs on them <laughs> about ask. I would, have, I would have put so much sanctions on them. Um, inviting them. I wouldn't invite them, I'd order them. And it may sound like I'm being naive and that, but that is disgraceful because, you know, he came in, you know, and that's what we got now, John. That's what we are. Mm. That's where we are. We, we, we ask these people, these few, these very few, to do things, and they're not going to do it. They might hand back their CBE, John. Yeah. Could give a monkeys. Look at that, Michelle Monet. Uh, yeah, exactly. She, exactly. Th th there's some criminal activity uh, investigation, but we all know that nothing's going to happen with that. These people are just going to walk away with their. And that, I've said it time and time again, John. How rich do you have to be? Yeah. I mean, how rich is rich? How rich does rich need to be? You know, um, and this is not just recently happened. We've got big fat people falling off yachts saying they're drowned. This has been going on forever. People just taking pensions and falling off my boat. I'm dead. You know, um, the links to the Israeli government on that, that issue, no investigation. Um, you know, so yeah, back to the original question. I think, as I said, we need to get our heads around the digital, the digital revolution and, and, and what it's doing and how it's done. But I will say this, it's interesting. John Pilger did a fantastic piece on the NHS, um, and how the health state is in America, but they wouldn't hear it until after the general election. 
And when yeah. I saw it... And that so, was recently, wasn't it? That, that was, was recently. the last general election. This, yes. Yeah. This, this, this is not... I'm not talking about the um, Industrial Revolution and history books. This happened now. This is happening now. And if it wasn't for this TV programme... And, you know, I sometimes think they've... I sometimes think the media picked the right political climate, knowing fully well that we're fed up of this slot. You know, we're fed up of putting on the news or turning on the telly and one of them's on there saying, well, I lied, didn't pay me tax, and I'll turn up into another ministerial role tomorrow. I think they just picked the political climate. They know what's going to happen. But I just feel that I don't, I'm going to get the same old, same old, you know. Are Labour going to yeah. distance themselves from new Labour because of this thing? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should get a coalition, John. Like Europe. Just a coalition. Coalition of different people. Different things. Mm. Because um, this two-party thing is just not working out, is it? You know? It's not working out. What? It's not working in America either. As I just said, there's an example with Obama where he asks them to come into the White House. He asked them, could they forego their bonuses that the taxpayers paid for? Well, Obama's a very particular example because, um, and I actually think a great villain of our age, because uh, his heart was never in it. He made a few noises about stuff. He never actually did anything. And his job was to come in and say, look, I, you know, I can look fresh-faced. I can be a different colour to the people that have ruled this country since its its beginnings under uh, you know an act of, of mass slaughter genocide but um really you know i'm i'm slick and i'm pretty and i'm not actually going to change anything at all uh and it's my among other things because you just can't be bothered i actually find him to be one of the most um vapid and egotistical people i, I, I can't listen i can't just, i can't listen to his interviews john because he doesn't sell anything <laughs> Now, but he's also he's just not interested. He just want he he does what he always wanted to now. He just wants to hang out with famous people. Yeah, I, so, I, I, I mean, I can't. I I I I, I, I as I said, I, so what's his policies, John? And he doesn't say anything. Yeah. He doesn't really yeah. say anything. No, that's, that's interesting. When you you you're absolutely right. When you look back on eight years, you go okay. okay so what was the actual policy? What changed here? You know. It was all very similar kind of thing. Someone said this before about the kind of, you know, liberal wet dream that is uh, a TV programme like The West Wing. And people kind of look, you know, they have this great fondness for it. But again, even in the world of liberal fantasies, over, you know, eight years or whatever programming, none of them ever bloody changed anything. <laughs> you know, it's all about every episode. Is, every episode is, is as um, kind of politically depressing as Yes Minister was, which is about, you know, you come in with an idea to make things better and, and the people around you basically make sure that that's not possible. Um, exactly the same. But there was some good things. Do you, so do, you, do you understand the mandatory minimums that Clinton brought in, John, uh, to appease the right-wing America? Mandatory minimums was you could get done for 10 years for having a spliff. And it also uh, didn't need you to go to court. You would just bypass the judicial system. So what Obama did, he, he looked at all the cases uh, under Clinton, the Clinton era, and, and a lot of them, mainly black American, Afro-American, um, were decided, well, actually, that's not serious. And they were their sentence was reduced 
Uh, I knew this by accident because Michael Nunn, a wicked boxer, obviously was arrested for 42 years for possession. Um, no court case, John. Um, and uh, when Obama came in, his, his, his sentence was absolutely slashed to an iota. But he... That he only could chip at it, John. And this mm. is what I'm saying, you know, under Clinton, who I like Clinton, I, I did like Clinton, I thought he was good, but I thought the appeasement towards right-wing America on strong on crime, on this mandatory yeah. minimums, how can you imprison people without going to the, the forum of justice? Well, to appease... This is... To yeah, appease, this is what I hated about the Clintons. Well, no, 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 John. I disagree. I, I, I think he, he okay. did some good things. He did do some good but things. Okay, but that's their politics. That's why they do it. It's, again, you said it's, it's yourself, it's even about the Democrats. They have the same politics as the Republicans, in the same way the Conservatives. Yeah, because they, the same politics as and, and this is Fujitsu. Yeah, this is yeah. the, this is like this is your Fujitsu. You don't want to upset anyone. You. Now, Bernie Sanders comes out and says, here's my donations. My average donation is a dollar. Yeah. That, he's, he, he, he's not appeasing anyone. His average donor is a dollar per person. But mm. yeah, he can go to Mississippi Deep South and sell the place out. Mm. Which the Democrats and the Republicans could never do. But they've no, got to keep no. your Fujitsis happy and your banks and your institutions. Oh, yeah, you can keep your bonuses if you get me in power and get all your right-wing media mates to, to, to support us in the newspapers. It's wrong, John. And Fujitsu, this whole, back to the point, this whole Fujitsu thing is that you didn't want to upset a donor. You didn't want to upset yeah. a donor. It's disgusting. How did he even get that job, that license to supply that equipment or that system? And I'll tell you something about trade unions, John, which is disgusting from the capitalists or the corporates. Where trade unions get involved in the implementations of systems, this one thing we use three words for. It's called terms of reference. And what we do is we trial it for three months plus and we iron out any issues, right? We've been accused of dragging our feet, being dinosaurs, wanting to stop progress, right? We use terms of reference for exactly that reason of Fujitsu, right? We've used terms of reference where we, me and you, work for 30-plus years because it irons out any issues, and it, we call it a trial, and it won't be fully implemented until both sides see all the devil in the detail, right? They brought this in without mm. any union involvement, John. No terms of reference. And this is what happens. You're absolutely right, John, about the trade unions should have been right in the centre of that. And these poor people, they're never going to get their lives back, John. Over to you, I'm getting angry. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, can I say, folks, I'm glad that this story hit the headlines. I just, I think it's a little strange that it was, not strange, not strange, actually. It's not strange. If, if drama gets under your skin, that's good. I'm uh, great. I'm, I'm just, I'm interested. 
I'm just interested in in how the, the dynamics of this you know, and how it works and why it is this way. But I do think that there's a bit of a habit of of political cowardice, you know, of not getting involved in, in an actual fight and just kind of looking back on it and then when it's all over and it's all, all the dust has settled and all the, the people, you know, who have put into it have have done that. But And then you go, oh, yeah, okay, now I'll take my position on this. But, you know, I would say an, an interesting phenomenon to me, from Computer Weekly magazine to Mr. Bates versus the post office. Well, that, 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 that Computer Weekly story, which I do buy Computer Weekly, John, that surfaced yeah. in 2009, Okay. 2009, Public Eye uh, picked it up shortly afterwards. Um, but again, and another thing, John, you know, it's interesting. So, so say that I win the Euro lottery, 100 million on Friday, right? And I say to the Labour Party, I'll give you a million pounds. Um, uh, but yeah. we're gonna, me and John are going to apply for a licence for FM and we want you to give us top priority. Now, I wouldn't ask that because it has to be seen to be right. It's the correct thing to do. But that exactly what I said, and it sounds vulgar how I said it, but it's true. That's exactly how these big political parties are to get in. Anything for power, John. You know, we'll do this for you. We'll do that for you. And and what I said about I'll give you a million pounds when me and John apply, you put us to the top of the queue. I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly how it works. That's exactly how it works. Um, and there's all well, sorts of party... Poli- there's all sort of affiliation from that political party. Their wife or their uncle or their nephew or niece work there. You know. Yeah, I don't um, know. I don't know. It's been going on too long, John, anyway. How long has this been going on for? I mean, it is... Uh, it is actually, a, uh, obviously, a, a total injustice. But, as, as there are many things here... But just on that, um, if, if what you're offering that is to say to people that if anyone wanted to actually pay you and me um, for our radio show, that's fine. We'll take your money, but we won't do anything you fucking tell us to. We'll keep up in the same stories. We'll yeah, and it sounds, it sounds like a fairy tale, but what John just said, but I'd yeah. like to, f- I'd feel yeah. more comfortable if I said, look, we'll take your money, but we're not changing. I'd feel much more, I could sleep better, John. And if they said, yeah. well, we, we, you're not doing what we say, we're not paying them. Don't then. Yeah. Don't. Power's yeah, not everything to me. Certainly not to you. We don't want to be. I don't know what you know what we what we want to be when we broadcast. We just do it because we love it. But I, I, I would be more. I would sleep better at night knowing fully well that I we yeah. stayed. And that's the trouble, isn't it, John? I mean, I don't know. These people have got no soul. You know, some of these people. How do you sleep at night? I mean, these people are responsible for the demise of these people's lives. How do you sleep at night? You can only sleep soundly, but naked to their own, next to their own ego. Is is how they sleep. Uh, this is the problem with allowing narcissists to have power. Um, if not, if it isn't power that breeds narcissists, I suppose it's a bit chicken and egg, really. But this is the problem. You know, you you allow people. We're living in that situation right now. Aren't we? with the Musks of this world and the Bezoses of this world. You know, not only are they terrible people in many ways, they're also lunatics. And uh, you think they can do whatever they want because no one's ever told them otherwise. Up but the Swedish. Up the Swedish. 
Yeah, I think they control. Oh, that's true. Yeah, shout out to the Swedish coal workers and everyone else associated because they're allowed to take solidarity strike action. Um, Go on. We are going to change the world for all of us, and and thank you for that. By the way, any of you want to come on the show? Please, please do. Love to talk to you. But um, you know, they, what what you have here is this, is the scenario where people can. You know, they think that they can basically tell working people how to organise their lives, literally how to organise their lives. Now, it's an interesting thing. Starbucks Workers United um, put something out this week, interesting video in one of their stores. I think it's in one of the New Orleans stores that's just unionised. And I'll get more details on this because this is a case I think is pertinent to where you and me operate as well, which is to say, uh, so they have the, the, the process which says, you know, oh, you need two weeks or so, a minimum two weeks to let us know if you wanted to leave for something. So, okay, well, fair enough. That's, that seems like standard practice. Except when you're on contracts where they can tell you one day to the next whether you're working or not. And they're challenging that. And I'd be interested to, to I'd support that entirely and I'd be interested to see the outcome because that is pertinent to a number of workplaces. Where And I think where if you're going to bring in those kind of contracts, if you want to bring them in, and to claim... Okay, well, we need you. We need to switch you on uh, on basically any given Sunday, among other things. That we want to use you, uh, completely destroying any any weekend plans you might have made. But actually, if you wanted that Sunday or Saturday off, you have to let us know at least two weeks in advance. Um, unacceptable, I think. Well, I think and, I think I think they should. Good on Starbucks workers united for challenging that. Yeah, yeah, but I think there should be a law that says that a chairman or the board earn. An average of what their average worker w- earns. I'm no problem with that, John. I, I'm, you know, good luck to you and you. And secondly, if you've got annual leave rules, there should be a charter that it applies to the whole company, uh, top to bottom. If you have annual leave rules, it's top to bottom. And for some reason, this transparency has been sold to the public uh, because unions want transparency in the workplace. Something's been sold to the public that we're thugs, we don't want progress, we're dinosaurs, we drink beer, we eat sandwiches, um, and we're all fat. Um, that's the thing that, that has been sold to the public. I'm telling you now, and John, John Bad was absolutely spot on, that if unions were involved with that implementation horizon or whatever, we would have gave it terms of reference and reviewed it every three months. Fact. John said it as it was. So when I send John an LTB out of terms of reference, I want him to recite it to me the next day. <laughs> Did you hear that, John? John, where you gone? John's gone. Uh, I'm going to try and get John back. Sorry, have you have you got me, Dave? Because I lost you there. No, I got you now. I got you. You got me back, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I was sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, sorry, yeah, I heard you, I was going to say, yeah, please, feel free to repeat that, because I heard you say about the terms of reference, and then you clip, clip, sort of cut out, and I didn't get all of it. Yeah, I said, so the next terms of reference, so what happens, I get terms of reference, because we're, me and John are in a trade union, I get terms of reference for trials, and I send them out to all the reps, so what I said was, the next terms of reference, I want John to recite it to me the next day. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Well, <laughs> <laughs> and it will uh, be about it will be about a machine in processing, which we have both me and you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
we'll find our way through. Um, yes. <laughs> Wouldn't mind, but most yeah, of the reps in the mail centre don't read it either. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As you know, memory is not my specialty. But, no, yeah. but well, you, um, but you were spot yeah, on, okay. John, about the union being involved. We're not fat. We don't eat, drink all the time, and we're not stuck in the... F- we do these things to protect people. And I don't care what they say well, on the media... If, unless you can prove me wrong about everything I've just said, go away. John? Yeah. Some of us are larger bodies, to be fair, and there's no shame in that. But, um, but yeah, I, no, I agree. This, this kind of, I mean, you put forward the kind of cliche. I mean, again, we've come back to this, you know, so coming, coming full circle, you know, I was saying at the end there of my little tirade about, um, about you know, representation or, or, or drama or what, what's drama going to get, what's it going to get us next, all that kind of stuff. Well, interestingly, um, yeah, what's where are we going to go next? And trade unionism is a very good example. When was the last time we had positive representations of trade unionism on screen? Now, that's actually something we well, the film Pride would be a good example, but that's something we've been asking for a long time. But actually, let me, let me flip it. Um, we haven't had any, pretty much any representation. We haven't even had the, you know, the cackling evil, you know, I'm going to destroy the life of this this genius boss because I can, rah, ha, 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 ha. No, no, we don't even get that anymore. It's like you completely ignore us. And yet we're more relevant now in so many people's lives than we've ever been. Well, I'll uh, say for, this, For John, entire generations. Well, I'll say yeah. this. In, in, I'm going to take the Brian Clough view on this. And it is this, John. When you get programs you coming out, <laughs> when you get programs like this coming out and saying this is what the injustice by these people, by these very rich people, people by government, bankers taking bonuses, so you have forums like this criticising these people. But you can do that on uh, Netflix and so forth. Michael Moore, Moore's films are great. Yeah, no one's actually come out and said to Michael Moore, for example, all these producers on this drama, and said you are wrong. I am taking you to court for lying. They don't even say that we're, we were wrong. They don't say anything. They don't dispute it because it's true. And we've reached a point in society where these people can come out and just say, I'm a thief, I'm a liar, it's fine. And um, anything on dramatised on TV about who was behind this thing, we're not even going to say you're a liar. We're just going to say, well... That's it. I've just, you know, and and Clough used to say that, you know, these people don't they even come out and say, "You are a liar." I am taking you to court. Mum and Ali used to say it all the time. They don't come out. They don't even hide it, John. And and that's where we have, are in society today. Unfortunately, we vote these liars in on a, on a wing and a promise and a flag, John. Yeah, well, that's, that's that's a good point to end it on, I think. Um, yes, certainly anything involving uh, a uh, derogatory reference to flags, you know, always gets me going. So, place to go. So, um, yeah, you uh, should have been out yeah. there for five years, John, in Westminster with those other people. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and then the Cockney yeah. boy cap, you know, with the... <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. But anyway, yes, culture, folks, an interesting, an interesting, sub- an endlessly interesting subject. 
Well, they all turn into you, Les. You, Les. So what do you think it is? They've all turned into you, Les, things now, John. Yeah. So they've left there, and they're just riding around London, and you, Les, and effigies of Sadiq Khan. It's amazing. they got all this time in the world. It's amazing. I wish me and you had this time, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, I, yeah, um, in some ways, uh, I'm kind of glad I am from the, the kind of last generation that grew up without the internet um, as a major life force because I, I think it would have been even harder to deal with uh, things. Also, it taught me certain resources, if you like, being able to find things better, as it were. Um, I still, I mean, I still struggle occasionally now, it's got to be said. But uh, it was, I mean, but both you and I are from a world where you can probably, like I do, probably remember the odd magazine article you read years ago about a film or an album that you can't find anything really about online, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's that's certainly certainly an interesting perspective to have that younger folks maybe don't have so much. But then again, I'm assuming there, maybe they, they do have it better than I think they do. Well, I think there's um, uh, certain um, search engines now that do podcast searches, so it looks for keywords. The, the search engine doesn't necessarily take you to the corporate. It takes you to a podcast like yourself, uh, Jacobin, um, which is a really good site that John put me on. Um, yeah. And it's point, when I type it into Google now um, on socialist stuff and world affairs and socialism in other countries and socialism is not a dirty word i'm just looking at the fairness of society the fairness okay it doesn't mean i've got two heads um and it does take me to sites and it, it which is good and i use brave internet as well which is a nice search engine um, um yeah so it is kind of changing uh, but maybe because other people are doing it john maybe it's become popular i don't know i don't hmm. know i'm hoping um, but let's hope that we take a more people point of view as we have done as a society in the UK on this post office crime, the crime against innocent people. John, yeah. thank you very much. Have you got any shout outs, John? You normally do. I do. So obviously shout out to the people that have been affected by this and, uh, and, you know, solidarity. And I, uh, I wish you had a decent union, you know, would have got you, should have joined us. Well, I think I could shout out certain unions in this country. I would have said the CWU is a good one you could have, could have maybe joined, but that's, I don't know, to be fair, I don't know the details about that. But if you were able to do so now, um, because they'll provide much better protection and benefits to you. But yeah, shout out to you and your struggle. It's been a long, hard, arduous struggle. As we all know, struggles for justice are long, hard, arduous, and constantly meet, um, they constantly meet resistance from the powers that be, but nevertheless, what else are you going to do? You're not going to back down, so so keep it going and solidarity to you. Obviously, shout out to the good folks uh, still struggling through endless fight in Palestine. And also, we shouted out, we did a little story about uh, Kurdish uh, communities in, um, being attacked again in Rojava by the Turkish state. So um, shout out to them. I don't know. I feel bad doing this one now because if I go through this entire list of things that are on my mind at the moment, someone will contact and go, oh, you didn't say blah, blah, blah. Well, we could just report striking. topics of the day, couldn't we? I mean, you know. Yeah, but what I will say, if I may, a little bit of self-promotion here, if you don't mind, I am going to shout out uh, the fact that I've recently published a new episode of Marks at Play, episode four, with myself and Chip, formerly been on this show talking about the epic band Gang of Four. Now, you can find this 
Uh, well, I put it out via the Anchor podcast, so I'm, uh, um, so I mean that means it ends up on Spotify. I know that, um, but also I think it's in a few other places around. If you can find it, if not, um, do you know what? If it's not on your preferred podcast app, tell me about it, and I will try and upload it there. Well, John, your 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 blog site is on the main page of the Tracks FM website. Yes. Um, it is, thank so, you. So yeah, I'll so you just post it there. www.tracksfm.org, it says John Bowd's blog. Press that, it will take you straight to it. I'll upload it there right now. And uh, other than that, thanks, as ever, Dave, for uh, another evening's debate and discussion. I enjoyed it greatly. And look forward to somebody, as I say, writing the, the, the drama starring Toby Jones about why we should overturn all of these terrible anti-trade union laws. So Toby Jones and Julie Hesmanhurst should be very, very welcome to play such great characters. Uh, you know, noble, decent, upstanding trade unionists. They'll call it socialist propaganda, and I would say you're damn right it is, and that's just how we like it. So anyway, have a good show, and I'll speak to you all next week. Cheers, Johnny. All the Rage with John Bowd. www.tracksfm.org